Hi, I'm Pastor Kenneth Olusanya of the Vivify Ministries, and it is my joy that your heart is awakened to the finished works of Christ with such powerful simplicity. Are you ready? All right, here we go. All right, how are you doing today? How are you doing this evening? Hope you had a fantastic time. I know some of you are eating your Easter brunch or just, you know, enjoying the spirit of this time and please by all means go ahead you know and we've had a beautiful teaching series all through this month of april where we talk about the cross the grave and the sky we've talked about the cross we've talked about the grave it's time to talk about the sky it's time to talk about what happened beyond the grave and what happened to you because of what happened in what Jesus did for us on the cross and up from the grave. Praise the name of Jesus. Look, you need to get your writing materials. There's so much to learn this evening. And I want you to just pay rapt attention to everything we're going to be talking about. You're going to have a blast. All right. And when I was preparing for this teaching, I just realized that there's one very important thing that a lot of Christians struggle with, you know, as regarding their growth. You know, people that you expect to be a certain way, a certain, to have attained a certain amount of growth, somehow are just stagnant in their faith and in their walk with the Lord. And I realized what that problem is. And I, it just reminded me of a time when I was in school. So we're about to have uh, our final exams. <coughs> Excuse me. Thank you. So we're just about to have our final exams. And we're about to write this paper. We're already queuing up on the line. I was like at the back of the line. And I checked my, I used to have this uh, small pencil case. Um, and I usually have all these things that I'll need to write. But for some reason, my pen wasn't there. I, I was so sure I used my black pens. I was so, you know, meticulous about it. But for some reason, my black pen wasn't there. And everyone was moving into the hall, moving in. And if, you, if they call your name and you're not there, forget about it. You know what I'm talking about. For those of you who know the school I went to and what happens there, you know how it is. And so immediately, at least I was at the back of the line, I started to move about, asking people on the line, first of all, do you, do you guys have an extra pen, extra pen, extra pen, anybody extra pen? Nobody. I was panicking. I went out. I met people. Do you have an extra pen, extra pen, anybody, please, anything? No one had pens. No one said anything. I was like, man, if I have to go all the way where they have the shops where you can buy this um, book items and stationery, it's going to take all the time. And I was just like, man, I was panicking. What do I do? How do I write this exam? And you can't write the exam in pencil. You just can't, right? Um, and I was looking everywhere. And I finally met this guy. And I was like, man, sir, please, do you have a pen? I was like, he was looking at me like, are you okay? I said, I need a pen, please. He said, are you actually okay? I said, yes. Like, do you have a pen or not? He said, no, I don't have a pen. But you do. I was like, ah, <laughs> how? Said, check behind your ear. And I was like, thanks, bro. And I ran all the way to the exam hall with my pen, wrote that paper with such beautiful confidence. Uh, but man, I was so embarrassed. But <laughs> the, I mean, I know many of you can relate to that. There was a, a friend of mine that was looking for his pair of glasses, which was above his head literally spent about 30 minutes looking for it look what i'm trying to say about this story right which everybody should be able to relate to if you can't relate to this then you're suspicious i don't believe you is you know when it comes to the knowledge of who you are and what you are in christ the problem is not that you have these things or you don't have these things the problem is knowing that you have these things. When it comes to knowledge, there are many, there are three major things that can happen. It's either you are ignorant about what you have, like you literally don't know you have a pen, or you literally don't know you have this or you have that. The second thing is you can forget. So you've once known that something was available to you, you've once known that this was your identity, but somehow because of all the cares of the world, you forgot. It's like the story in the in the Soa 
the parable of the sower where some of the seeds fell you know amongst the thorns and because of the cares of this life the seed could not germinate it couldn't have very deep roots and so sometimes you know this thing you know it you've heard it confessed all the time in church and sunday school but you forgot about it and the third thing that can happen is that you're doubtful so you know this thing you've remembered it but is it really true i mean this is what the bible says about me this is what the scriptures say about me but look at me this is who i am this is how i look i don't look like what the bible says i don't look like what the pastors have said i look more like what my friends are saying i look like more more like what social media is saying and so this is what happens to knowledge and a lot of people honestly speaking have either not gotten to where god would have them be in their faith and you know have just stayed where they are or have even somehow strayed away my assignment this evening is to remind you and help you build strong convictions about this new life that you live this new life that you have this new life that has been afforded you by the resurrection of jesus christ that's my goal this evening and I want to just dive, digress a bit, but I think this is very important, and this is something that I believe the Lord wants me to share with people. Um, listen, I, I, I know you know this, but I just want to remind everybody listening that we're not alone in this world. And by that, I mean all that we see is not all that there is. We see a physical world. We see the sky. We see the trees. We see nature. But at the end of the day, that's not all that there is to life. That's not all that there is to things that exist. There is a spiritual realm. You know that, right? And in the spiritual realm are things that cannot be seen sometimes with the naked eyes. We talk about angels. That's part of the spirit realm. But guess what? The other side of angels is what we call, you know who they are, right? Demons. They exist. They're real. They're part of our world. An active part, I must say. An active part of our world demons are real and when we talk about demonic oppression we talk about demonic possession these are things that sound scary maybe for you 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 hate horror movies and this is already sounding like one i'm so sorry but this is the world you live in there's demonic activity but i think a lot of people have mistaken what demonic oppression looks like people just assume that demonic oppression is this out you know it's not manifesting <laughs> You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? You start manifesting, you start seeing people convulse and say, this person is oppressed by the devil. This person is always depressed. This person is always oppressed. This person is always, you know, all the kind of oppressed. And you just assume that, look, this is what demonic oppression looks like. But there is a subtle form, and this is from experience, also from what I see in scripture, a subtle form of oppression that many Christians are not aware of, right? It's possible that you are being oppressed by devils and you don't even realize it because it's subtle. Let me tell you what demons do. One thing that they do is they aim to pervert the truth of God's word in a person's life. This is where oppression happens. It's not just here, it's not here, it's here. This is where it happens. If the devil can infiltrate your mind, replace it with what is true, and give you his own idea of what should be, that's demonic oppression. <laughs> Literally, that's what it is. And so in the case where Adam and Eve were about to, you know, they were told not to eat a certain fruit, and the devil says, oh, surely not. You shall not surely die. Forget what God said about this. He said you would die, forget about it. The truth is, if you actually eat this fruit, you will be like him. You will know all things. You'll be a superman, a superwoman, a god on this earth. But God doesn't want you to reach his level. Forget that one. That is perversion of God's truth, which is demonic oppression. Do you see what I'm talking about? The truth is it's, it's a battlefield of the mind. It's a battlefield of the knowledge. I'm saying all this because I want you to recognize those activities in your life. And if... if if you are experiencing thoughts that that combat the truth of God, God's word in your life, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean that you know when the devil attacks, you're a terrible person. 
if he knows you have a great destiny, if he knows you have a great future, he knows your purpose is, is huge, your impact is phenomenal, it's going to be phenomenal in this world, he's going to attack you. And he's not just going to appear like a scary monster and say, you, I know God has sent you to preach the gospel. Now, if you do it, I will appear to you and beat you up. That's not what he's going to do. He's going to go very subtly. And so this is how it happens. God has told you that, look, in a few years' time, you're going to be raising, as a woman, you're going to be raising many young women in ministry, training them for the gospel, getting those who have been saved, who, are, who have been abused, who have been oppressed and abused sexually and molested and bring them to healing, that God has called you to do that. And then you're looking at these people who have been in addiction, who have been abused, and then for some reason you yourself are battling with, maybe you were abused when you were younger, and you start to think of yourself as dirty, and maybe because of the abuse you're exposed to things you shouldn't have been exposed to. And then he starts to remind you, but look at you, God called you to save this people, look at your own life now. Check it out, you said, check it out. The thing that you, you you said yesterday that you were up all night doing that thing <laughs> forget forget this thing and then so slowly you think it's just your mind you know it's just your thoughts but that's his tool that's his weapon we're not ignorant of his devices that's how he infiltrates people that's how he oppresses if he can twist or make you forget or pervert the truth that you already know he's winning He's oppressing. But what God would have you do is reaffirm the truths of the life that you now live. Let me tell you this. The life that you live now is a new life. Glory to God. It is brand new. That's your life. It's as if the past never existed. It's as if all the things you've experienced and endured in your life from when you were born up until the point you received the Lord's Lord into your life as your Savior, look, all of that is gone. It's a brand new life. And let me show you a scripture that just highlights it. You're going to open a lot of scriptures, but let's open this with me. Titus chapter 3. If you're hungry or you're fasting, I'm sorry. Titus chapter 3 from verse 3 to 5. Let's just go there very quickly. Titus chapter 3 from verse 3 to 5. Glory to God. I need you to pay very close attention. It's very important that you listen to these things. All right. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to read till verse 7, actually. So it says, at one time, we too were foolish. This is Paul speaking. We were disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things which we have done, but because of His mercy, He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Look, there has to be a but moment in every person's life. If you truly were saved, there is a moment of but. You were one way before. This was your life back then. It was terrible. You were dark. You were chasing wrong pleasures. You were in sin. You were hateful. You were disobedient. This was your life. It was ugly. It was dark. But the kindness of God appeared and everything changed. Glory to God. What happened in between was a moment where Jesus intervened, where his grace appeared and your life changed forever. The Bible calls it here, the washing of the regeneration. You were washed. You were cleaned. You were cleansed. Glory to God. This is so powerful. It says, you know, by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously. I'll talk about this much later. He poured out the Spirit upon you more so generously through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Glory to God. There's so much that I have to talk to you about this new life that you have. By the way, the teaching this evening is 
newness of life. Every Easter, we have a special Easter Sunday service, which is tagged sunrise. And that's spelled with an S-O-N, talking about how the Son of God rose from the dead, right? Sunrise. But this specifically is the newness of life. The newness of life in Christ Jesus. I want you to learn to appreciate the life that you've been called to. I want to help you see who you are because of this new life and what you have. That's what I want to help you do. But this is such a powerful scripture. It says you've been justified by his grace. And the word justified, and it's so beautifully said commonly, that the word justified is just as if I'd never sinned. You see how it sounds? Just as if I'd justified, you know, just as if I'd never sinned. That's how you look before God. When he brings your court case, when your, your case is presented, a liar, a murderer, a thief, someone who has committed fornication and adultery, all this is presented before God. You've lived in pornography and masturbation and drug addiction, alcoholism. This was your life. And then he, you, they presented, the accused of the brethren presented before God. Look at this guy's record. What makes you think that this person can make heaven? Who tells you that this person is redeemable? These are things that are unforgivable. And God, the good judge who is just and merciful, looks at you and says, because someone has paid the price, because my justice has been satisfied, I will look at you just as if you had never sinned. I justify you because you believe in the payment that was made on your behalf. Do you understand that? That is beautiful news. That is the new life that you live, people of God. <laughs> Amen. Let me show you one scripture that, that will bless you. It's actually the, the, the scripture text. For this evening is in Romans chapter 6. Can we just head on there to Romans chapter 6 from verse 2? Oh, so many goodies. If you know me, you know that Romans chapter 6 is one of my favorite scriptures ever. It's so directly linked to the life that you now have. The life that you now live is so good. So there was a famous question that, you know, starts the chapter. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in saying that grace may abound? Verse 2 says, God forbid... How shall we who are dead to sin live any longer therein? I love that he's introducing the new life. He describes you as dead to sin. And if something is dead to something, this is what it looks like. Let me give you an idea. And, and don't be scared. Imagine there is a corpse lying down in maybe a morgue. And you go to the, 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 the corpse and you slap that dead body. What happens? Nothing. That's all. Ouch. <laughs> that hurt. Nothing happens. If you're alive, hey, you slap me, you do your own back. But a dead body is dead to the influences that are around it. Do you understand? If someone is dead to something, if something is if someone is dead to a thing or a feeling or an influence, it means that thing literally has no hold over you. And that is the spiritual description Paul is saying about you in Christ. You are dead to sin. How can you live any longer to it? And like, remember what I said at the beginning, sometimes you look at it and you're like, this is what the word of God says. This is what Pastor Ken is saying. But look at me. Look at how I look. Do I look dead to sin? And that's where you miss the point. You see, the way the scriptures and the, the new life works is you are this, you are that. Now be like this. Now live like this. Now act like this. It's like I have made you this so that you can be this. That's how it works in the kingdom. There are spiritual realities that must be made vital and practical in your everyday life. Praise the name of Jesus. I'll go back to verse 3 because of time. It says, Know ye not. I love know ye not. See, if, you, if you're reading the epistles and you come across a know ye not, you need to stop there. Because it's talking about you. It's talking about a knowledge that you need to know. Know ye not. You should know this. No, you know, these are things you stop, pause, and meditate on. This is him talking about me. And he says, Know ye not 
that so many of us, as we're baptized into Jesus Christ, we're baptized into his death. And maybe you don't understand what this means. You will understand as we read, read further. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead, which is what we are celebrating at a time like this, as he's raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. Can you just say this, that by the resurrection of Jesus, I walk in the newness of life. Can you say that again? By the resurrection of Jesus, I walk in the newness of life. The idea is that as Jesus died on that cross and was buried, something was done away with. An old life was kept under. The past was put in its place. But as he raised up, he's given us a symbolism that by our identifying faith with him and all that he did in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection, we also are rising from the dead. We also are rising up to a life that is new. Not living to sin because we are dead to that now, but we are alive to God in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, verse 5. Don't get tired now. It says... For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Verse 6, knowing this, that our old man, this is the point. He's introducing an entity to you. An old man. I'm not talking about that grumpy old grandpa. I'm talking about a part of you that was old, that was in sin, that was a way apart, separate from God, a nature of sin, separate from God. The one that you got by inheritance from Adam when he fell. That's what I'm talking about. There's an old man, but guess what happened to the old man by the death of Jesus Christ? That old man also died. The Bible says that our old man is crucified with him. That the body the organization, the institution of sin might be destroyed. This is why he came. He came to destroy not just the penalty of sin, but the power, the hold that sin has over God's people. Praise the name of Jesus. That henceforth, so he tells you, if the body of sin is destroyed, this is the result. Henceforth, you will no longer serve sin. Glory to God. Look, this is beautiful. I'm introducing the newness of life to you. There's, there are expectations of you as a believer. There, there's a way that you ought to live, but you can't walk in the fullness of this new life if you don't know what it entails. This new life is completely different than anything you've ever lived. It's brand new. 2 Corinthians 5.17, you know this. It says it so well that if any man be in Christ. He's a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It gives you an idea, and I know the context must speak to the, the you know the, the desires and, and the, the passions. That's exactly what it is. All things have passed away. There was a way you were, but it's changed now. There is a new life. And look, the beautiful thing about this new life is that it is regenerative. Yes, you are in this new life, but guess what? Tomorrow you are still in this new life. So even though sometimes you might make mistakes and you might walk in a manner contrary to the nature that you now have, every day is a new day in Christ. The Bible says his mercies are new every morning. That is the exciting thing about this life. You get a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance till you reach maturity in Christ. God is now patient with you, now enabling you to live this new life every day, day after day, step after step. One step at a time. There's no need to rush. It's like falling in love. Sorry, I'm saying it the wrong tongue. That's Jordan's part. But you get the point. It's one step at a time. It's, it's, it's you just taking it one day at a time, living in the mercy of the Lord. Amen. Praise the name of Jesus. But look at it. This is it. This is the life that you've been called to. 
The difference between the old life, the old covenant, and this new covenant is the Spirit. The advent of the Holy Spirit. Before Jesus left, he said something. He said, I'm going now. And there are many things I want to tell you. I want to show you the beautiful things of this new life, but I can't tell you everything now. But there will be another comforter, and he will lead you into all truth. And that comforter did come. He came. He came upon those people on the day of Pentecost and empowered them in ways they never imagined. That one man who was once shy, who denied the Lord three times before little girls, now he's standing before the greatest act of public speaking to speak to an audience of 3,000 plus. And, and everyone, everyone that listened, 3,000 of them, believed what you said. Come on, that's huge. Something changed. Something changed. The new covenant now brings an element that helps you live this new life. If God now tells you that you can do this, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. He's telling you those things now because you have the ability. The people in the old covenant, they had the laws, they had the rules, they had the regulations. They had all of it, but could they keep it? Of course not. The law and the prophets were telling us of a time where we will now no longer look at tablets of stones to know what to do. Jeremiah 31, 31 says this, that the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. This is a different covenant than what we've always known. And I'll make this with the people of Israel, the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with the ancestors. It's new, it's different. And this was the original plan. The old covenant was a preparation for people to see what is good, what is true, what God had always planned and prepared in Christ. It says, when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. Then verse 33 of Jeremiah 31, this is what it says. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord. And he said, I will put my laws, I, I will put my law in their minds. It's not longer tablets of stones. And just so you know, the, the point of tablets of stones were a reflection of the state of the heart of men in those days. It was because of the hardness of their hearts they received those laws on tablets of stone. It was because of the hardness of their hearts that they had laws like you can divorce your wife. You can have a written note of divorce to your wife. But it was not supposed to be. But the point now is that the law is taking a new form. It's, it's having a new location. It's now going to be registered in your mind. It'll, he said, and I will write it on their hearts. This is where it will be. He said, I will be their God and they will be my people. Look, the, you know, Jesus speaking summarized the whole law under two things. Uh, uh, the whole law, I beg your pardon, under one thing. He called it love. The first four commandments talk about a love for God. If you love God, you will not you know, make any other um, God, have any other God before him. You will not make any graven image. You won't take his name in vain. You will keep the Sabbath holy. But if you love people... You will honor your father and your mother. You would, you would not steal. You will not kill. You will not covet their property. You will not bear false witness. He summarized this as love. It's love. And he says he's writing this love on their hearts. This is the law. This is the new covenant now. It's not something you have to look. Have I, have I checked this box? It's here. You know it now. He said, I will be their God. They will be my people. Verse 34. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord. Because they will all know me. Is that the reality that we have now? Everyone who is a part of this new covenant will know this God. It won't be about asking questions. Okay, what is he like? What You will know him. You will experience him. If you see his son, Jesus, you have seen him. Glory to God. It says, from the least to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will, this is a beautiful part. This is what marks, I mean, this is how you jumpstart a new covenant. This is what changed. It says, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Come on. 
Glory to God. That is what engineered this covenant. That you're starting afresh. I will forgive all your iniquities, all your wickedness. And I will not remember your sins. I won't count it against you. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. Now this is your reality. God is not looking for your next fault. Trying to pin it on you. Look at you. You're not... Look at how you're, mm, mm. oh, this, mm. I beg, this guy's not ready. Let me look for someone else. That's not the God we serve. He's a God who looks at you. He sees that, yes, you are flawed in some way, but he's patient enough to walk you through this new life. He's patient enough to not count those sins against you and believe that you will get better. Praise the name of Jesus. So just shortly, I'll do something. I want to give you i know this teaching is not nearly sufficient to do this but next week by the grace of god we'll talk extensively about this um but i want to just give you a hint of who you are because of the resurrection of jesus and also not just who you are but what you have so i'm talking about identity who you are and i'm also talking about possession what you have are you ready for this i just want to give you a few things number one because of the resurrection of Jesus, you are righteous and holy. Can you say that with all the confidence you can muster? Yes, I know you, you just had a flashback of that terrible thing you did the, this past week or even just today. I know you had that flashback, but just can you just say this with me? If you believe in Jesus Christ, that I am righteous. Say this with me. I am holy. When God sees me, he sees me righteous. When God sees me, he sees me holy. When God sees me, he sees me sanctified. When God sees me, he sees me worthy. This is not motivational speaking. This is revelatory speaking. It's from a place of revelation. It's not a place of observation. It's not from a place of observation of how you look or how you've acted. It's revelatory. If God says it about you, you best believe it's true. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, this is what it says. It says, God made him, talking about our Lord Jesus Christ, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. And I wish I had so much time to explain that. And, and here it is, you know, we talked about it last week that Jesus could not have been made sin personified. It wasn't that Jesus became a murderer or became a thief on that cross or became an adulterer. And all the bad things that is wrong with this world, he became. That's not what it means. The Greek word is hamartia, and it could mean two things depending on the context. Either he was literally made sin, or he was made a sin sacrifice. All right, and clearly we see that he who had no sin became the, the, the sacrifice for the sin. The sin sacrifice for us. So that in him... This is the beautiful part. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that in Christ you become the righteousness of God. Imagine that the righteousness of God is a human on earth who puts faith in him. That is beautiful. That blows my mind. That you can look at yourself in the mirror and say, I am the righteousness of God. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus you are the righteousness of God. And it's in 1 Peter 2 verse 9 that you see that you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God calls you holy. He calls you holy. He's set you apart from darkness and brought you into his marvelous light. That's what the word holiness means, being separate, being sanctified. So that's who you are. Say that with me with all confidence. I am righteous and I am holy. Glory to God. That's great news. Number two, you are a child of God. You are a son of God. That's who you are. You're not estranged. You're not an orphan without any care, any love in the world. You belong to God and God's family. You have a home now. You have a family. You're a son of God. And when we use the word son, it's because it indicates Inherit, inheritance from, from the Hebrew, the word son indicates someone that is not just brought in just to fill in a space, 
but someone who was brought in to receive something. So there's an inheritance in God, and that's why you are called the Son of God. God calls you that. God had adopted you by His Spirit, brought you into His family. You are called the Son of God. Romans chapter 8 from verse 16 says it so beautifully, and I'll read up to verse um, I'll read from verse 15 to 17. You can open your Bibles with me. Verse 15 says, The spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. I'm reading from NLT, um, but some of you understand all the scriptures. You've not received the, the spirit of bondage again to fear, right? You've not, re- you've not received a spirit that makes you a slave, so that you live in fear again. And it's talking about the law. Um, rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. I love how he puts it. The spirit of God that you received brought you into God's family. The Bible tells us that our reality in the book of Colossians, we were estranged. I mean, Ephesians, I beg your pardon. We were estranged from the commonwealth of Israel. We were, we were separate from God. There was a middle wall of partition, but because of the Spirit, all of those walls were broken. All the access was granted. And you can walk before God and say, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. That's you now. You have relationship now. It's not religion anymore. What's your religion? It's not Christianity. What's your relationship? Yes, it's Christianity. Your relationship with God is based on His Son, Jesus Christ, by which now you have become a son. Praise the name of Jesus. So he says it very beautifully here. Um, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father, verse 16. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Do I have a witness in the house? Someone that knows that they know that they know that they are God's children. Come on, just shout glory to God. Amen. Verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. And I'll talk about this much later when we talk about what you have, your inheritance, your possession. It says, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So you're not just a son without anything to show for it. There are things that belong to you legally because you've been brought into God's family. The adoption papers have been signed and sealed and delivered. Glory to God. It says, now, um, if indeed we share in his suffering, in order that we may be sharing his glory. Praise the name of Jesus. So that's who you are. Say, I am a child of God. I'm a child with an inheritance. God is my father. He is my daddy. Glory to God. I have relationship. I I have access to him. Praise the name of Jesus. Number three, you are an ambassador. And it's important that I put these things in in, in that order. is because I want to first furnish your identity that you are loved by God. You are righteous before him. And I'm telling you your place. You have relationship. He doesn't, it's not just, oh, you know, someone can see you and say, oh, yeah, I'm all right, person, you're cool. You know those people that you just see that, I think he's a great guy, I think she's a great girl, she's okay, she's fine. But you don't know them, they're still distant, but you're okay with them. In your eyes, they're fine. But the next step is to have relationship. There is something that is a connection. But as a result of this relationship, there are expectations. So you are an ambassador. If I'm going to summarize all that you are, is these three things. You are righteous. You're standing in righteousness. When you are a son of God, you have relationships. So righteousness, relationship, responsibility. Remember that. Can I help you with that? Those three R's. Your righteous standing, righteousness. You have relationship and you have responsibilities. So as an ambassador that you are, there are responsibilities for your world. And the world will see you and see the, the testimony of grace in your life. See the testimony of the new life in you. And they see your life and they say, man, this is someone that looks exactly like Christ. You look like a replica. You remind me of Jesus. You remind me of God that men may see your good works and glorify the Father in heaven. That's what I'm talking about. You are an ambassador. And 2 Corinthians 5 highlights this very important scripture. Verse 19 to 20, I'll read it very quickly. It says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. 
as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Look, we have a responsibility. You can't have received such good news, such great transformation, and keep it to yourself. It must come up in your conversations. It must be an intentional step that you make to reconcile the world, to help people have access to a new life. A lot of people, if you see the description of your old life, would you want anyone to stay where they are? That you are dead to sin, you are serving sin, you are a slave to sin, you are in darkness, you are wicked, you are under the wrath of God, you are disobedient, you are chasing diverse lusts. That was the description of the old life and anyone who does not have Christ is living that exact same life. How about you change their lives forever? You can make that difference. You literally can change a life by the preaching of the gospel. By sharing this good news you have received that gave you new life. You can help spread this life to other people. That they get to live forever. That they get to have relationship with God. And have a right standing with Him. Glory to God. So you have responsibility. You're righteous. You have relationship. But you also have responsibilities. Praise the name of Jesus. Now we're going to talk specifically now about what you have. Alright. So we talked about your identity how that you are righteous, how that you are a child of God, and how that you're an ambassador of Christ. But now I want to talk about what you have. Like, what did you receive? You know, of course you received the Holy Spirit, the best gift of heaven, to receive the Holy Spirit, who now helps and assists you and gives you all the ability you need. But let me just give you, um, let me just break it down to what you have in Christ. Number one, you have freedom. You have freedom in Christ. You know, one of the things that was said, one of the terminologies that was used was, you know, for those who are in the, are in the old life, is that they are serving sin. They're living for sin. They're slaves to sin. But where the Spirit of the Lord is, as you see in 2 Corinthians 3.17, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is freedom. I have seen people who have struggled all the years of their lives in their past, trying to do the right thing, trying to at least be have a, a moral fiber in their bone, but to no avail because there was another force controlling them. But guess what? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I have seen people break free from the chains of their past. I've seen people be liberated. I've seen people live like they were never enslaved. And that can be you. You don't have to be enslaved to sin anymore. How can you who are dead to it live any longer to it? You can be free. You can be free for real. Whether it's an addiction, a habit, whether it's a wrong mentality of something, or just a resistance and rebellion that just creeps in every once in a while, you can be free from all of it. And that's what God affords you in Christ Jesus. So that's one. Number two, you have an inheritance. And look, this is, I know this is an overarching um, topic, but let me just tell you that you have an inheritance in God. So people say, what is the inheritance? Is it a crown of gold? Is it robes of fire? Is it special wings like angels? What is this inheritance? Is it gold in heaven? Are we going to have gold in heaven? If the streets are littered with gold, of course we should have gold too in our bank accounts. Do we have mansions in heaven? You know, angels are building those mansions because of the work we're doing here on earth. Is this what the inheritance is? I tell you that by far, I can tell you that I, I can tell you that I can't tell you all the inheritance you have. It's so vast that sometimes, it, I mean, we see glimpses, we see hints in the book of Revelation, but I'm telling you that your mind will be, will be blown. The things that your mind hasn't even gotten around to imagining, you're going to have those things waiting for you. But we, we have an idea of some of these things, right? First uh, Peter 1 verse 4 says, We have a priceless inheritance. An inheritance that is reserved and kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. So this is not just an inheritance of things that you have now, like you have the Spirit of God, you have sonship. These are things that are reserved for you in heaven. Praise the name of Jesus. And one thing I know is you're going to have a super awesome body. You're going to have a beautiful body. 
the, a glorious celestial new reformed redeemed glorified body that by the time jesus returns to take us all home you're going to be brand new never prone to the influence of sickness and death and pain forever and pimples none of that anymore you'll be free from all of that that's part of your inheritance but you have an inheritance waiting for you you're not alone praise the name of jesus you're not left without anything number three is what you have is power you have received power the bible says that they shall receive power after the spirit comes upon them acts 1 verse 8 when the spirit of god comes upon you he endues you with so much power gives you so much ability he helps you to be able to carry out the life you know and the purpose that god has given to you that's what happens so you have power you know jesus said all power before he ascended all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me so go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations he did something similar before and you see it in in a place i think it was in Luke chapter 10 from verse 19, where the Bible says, he says, I, I, I behold, I give unto you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and of over the, all the power of the enemy and nothing that shall by any means harm you. He did that to his disciples pre-resurrection, where he didn't even receive the full extent of his glory, but yet he conferred power on them. I give you power. But at this point of his resurrection, he says, look, all power in heaven and on earth all of it has been given to me has been restored back to me now go ye therefore what did he do by his spirit by the second comforter he conferred this power on all of us that we can go about doing the work that god has called us to do that by the spirit of god we can go about doing good healing those that are and freeing those that are oppressed of the enemy that's our life now glory to god so you have received power if truly the spirit of god has come upon you and let me tell you that power is the greatest power in all the world think about it that the greatest power in the whole universe now resides in you that's mind-blowing mind-blowing number four you have received purpose you have purpose now when you come to the lord jesus christ he defines your life he gives you purpose many people live their lives not having meaning they don't know what to do and maybe you've been in that situation in your life. You're just like, I don't know what to do with my life. Like, why am I here? Why am I born? I shouldn't even be born. Like, what life is this? What is what's the meaning of my life? What am I born to do? What am I here to do? What would it mean something by the time I die? Would it mean something? I can tell you anything done for the name of the Lord, for the sake of the name of the Lord, has meaning. It has eternal significance. There's purpose now in Christ. There's purpose in knowing him and making him known. He, you have received purpose. Your life has meaning. Your life can count because of him. And the last thing is you have been brought to a living hope. The Bible says that in 1 Peter 1 verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again into a lively hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So you have a hope that is alive. Some people live this life, they can't see beyond their roof. They can't see beyond their ceiling. They don't know what next. What's after this life? What happens when I die? But for you, it's different. You have something called eternal life. Glory to God, you have eternal life. And so this life does not end. This is a life that is everlasting, literally everlasting lasting it's a source of life some people look at the sun and say the sun has been burning for thousands and thousands of years it hasn't died out but even the sun as spectacular as it is the source of the sun eventually in some in several years time will extinguish scientists have predicted it is going to extinguish and the sun will be no more but the kind of life that you have burning within you is one that will never extinguish it will continue forever and ever and ever for all eternity forever and ever one more ever another ever you get the point it's not going to end and that gives you hope that look even when you close your eyes to sleep on this side of eternity you open them to an endless life abundant life a life that will never end that is a hope you have hope now people of god even if things never work out for you and that's what drove 
the apostles who were persecuted, who were murdered and killed for the name of the Lord. The Bible says they died hoping for a better resurrection. They knew that even if they died here, even if things didn't work out all the time for them here, and they went through pain and suffering, they would open their eyes to an eternity of joy everlasting. Glory to God. That is also your life. Yes, the people who suffer and, 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 and get to a life of eternity where there's pleasure. There are also people who don't have to suffer as much. But I'm telling you, if you're doing it right, if you are standing for the name of the Lord, somehow you will suffer some persecution. It might not be as brutal as what the apostles experienced, but you will do it knowing that all the things you're going through right now that are unpleasant, that are painful, that are almost unbearable, you can handle them because the sufferings of now are nothing to be compared to the glory that will be revealed. Romans chapter 8 from verse 17, that is your life now. That is your life now. People of God, the Spirit in the New Covenant has, has come to equip you with these things. He's come to remind you of this new life. He's come to, to aid you, right? He's come to give you ability, and he's come to give you assurance. These are the three things I want to say that the Spirit and the New Covenant brings. He gives you aid, he gives you ability, and he gives you assurance. And I'll just run through those quickly, and we call it a teaching, all right? With aid, he, you know, Jesus said this to them, you know, in Matthew 28, verse 20, after he says, you know, you would go make disciples of all nations, you teach them all things I've commanded you to. He says, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world, even unto the close of age. And imagine you are in that time and day, you're a disciple. And Jesus had just said that to you, don't worry, guys, I will be with you always. Yay! Presido, we are going to stay with us. Awesome. <laughs> We're going to flex. We'll show people, we'll tell all the people that killed you, we'll go to them one by one, one by one. Our Jesus is alive. And imagine after saying that, he was like, okay, guys, so I'll be with you to the close of age, right? Awesome, awesome. All right, take me now. And he just, uh -uh. see the sly. <laughs> imagine that was the situation. You know, almost when he said he'll be with them till the very end, he, he leaves them immediately. But what he meant that he will be with them was by his spirit. He was going to give aid to them by his spirit. He was going to lead them to all through truth by his spirit. You know, Ezekiel 36, 27 tells us that, you know, you'll give us a new spirit and take out the, the stony heart. You'll give us a spirit and cause us to walk according to his statutes. Philippians 2, 13 says, and God... That works in us both to will and do of his good pleasure. He does this by his spirit. So there's assistance now. Once you, you had the laws, you had the regulations, you were supposed to live your life somewhere. You tried, you tried so hard, but it was so difficult to meet God's standards. But now you have help, amen. You have aid. You can live according to God's standards because now God works in you. He works in you both to will and do of his good pleasure. That is beautiful. So you have aid by the Spirit. And that thing you have is ability. By the Spirit of God, you have the power to tread upon serpents and scorpions. You have power now. You have ability. You have boldness. You are strengthened for the work to do. The Bible talks about being strengthened by might in your inner mind. In Ephesians 3.16, there's ability that the Holy Spirit does that gives your physical body, the one who quickened you know, Jesus, who if, if, if the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, Romans 11, dwells in you. He will also make your body alive, quicken your body, give energy to your body. Where it was difficult to do the things of the Lord, you now have ability. Where it was a struggle to say yes to Jesus and say no to sin, you now have the ability by the Holy Spirit. And number three, you have assurance. Ephesians 1 verse 13 says, in whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth. So when you believed the gospel, you trusted Jesus, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also, after you believed, you were sealed. So when you believed the gospel, something happened. You were signed. You were this adoption papers were signed. You were sealed by the Holy Spirit, and you will be delivered on that last day to God, presented blameless and holy before Him. Hallelujah. So you are a signed, sealed, delivered package, basically. And so he says you are sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Verse 14, which is the 
earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. I can explain this one if you give me a chance. He said he is giving an earnest of an inheritance. So a fraction, let me not put it as a fraction, a down payment. So imagine they tell you, oh, you want to get a wedding dress? Oh, good, no problem. It's about one million naira. But first of all, you need to pay like 70%. So just so we know you are really interested. Or you want to book a venue, pay about 80%. Want to just know that you're going to pay the rest. That's called an earnest. It's called a down payment. So you pay it to say, look, I'm interested in this product. I'm interested in that thing. And I'm coming back to pay it in full when it's right. When the time is right. Do you understand? And by, the, by God giving us that engagement ring of the Spirit, giving us the Spirit, He's telling them, look, this is the earnest of your inheritance. There's so much I have to give you, but here's your Holy Spirit. Here's this comforter, so you know that I'm not leaving you alone, so you know that you've been sealed, so you know that I'm coming back for you. It says, until the redemption of the purchased possession. We are God's purchased possession. We've been purchased. There will be a time where we are redeemed in full, where what God has purchased with his blood, he redeems in full unto the praise of his glory. Praise the name of Jesus. Look, I've said so many wonderful, fantastic things about you, but here's the thing. I want you to spend this period of Easter just remembering all that you have and who you are. I want you to defeat the enemy and his lies in your life. Where there are places that seem like they don't align to God's word about you, I need you to insist on them. Remember the know ye not. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Remember, know ye not that those who are dead to sin cannot live any longer to it. Don't you know that you're supposed to reckon yourselves as instruments of righteousness? These are things I need you to think about. Now, where your life doesn't align to the new nature that you have, you remind yourself. You remind yourself. And when those thoughts come, you combat them with the word of God. And when you tend to forget, you put things to remind you of who you are. But look, in the kingdom of God, if you're going to grow in the reality of this new life that you have, you need to not be ignorant. You need to know. You need to always remember, don't forget. And don't give room for doubt. Don't give room for the enemy to pervert what is true about who you are in God. Don't try to adapt to your feelings. Adapt your life to God's word. Not the other way around. Don't let the scripture suit how you feel. Let your feelings align to what the Word of God says. My people, brothers and sisters, enjoy this new life that you have. And for anyone who seems far away, maybe you have lived a life of inconsistency. Even now that you are saved, you still feel far away from God. I want you to know that how God sees you is how He sees Jesus. He sees you as righteous as He sees Jesus. His arms are still wide open. There's relationship now. It's not just about how he sees you, but there's relationship. There's access to him. And his arms will always be like this. For you who believe, it will always be like this. Never like this. God loves you. He loves the one who is humble. To come to him and say, Lord, I've tried, but this is where I'm at. I know that for five weeks now, I've been doing the same thing over and over again. For one year now, I've messed up so badly. I know that you are forgiven, and I don't want to take advantage of that. But God, please help me. He loves that you're humble. He sees it already, but he wants to know that you really trust him to take you one step at a time, one day at a time, till you look exactly like him, till you, you really express yourself in this new life that God has given to you. But glory be to God by the resurrection of Jesus, as sure as Jesus rose from the dead, you received a new life. You received eternal life. Praise the name of Jesus. And I want to just pray with you this season, just very briefly, that in the name of Jesus, Lord, the name that is above every other name, that by the power of your resurrection, every one of these people listening to me right now, will experience the riches, experience the glory of the newness of life in the name of Jesus. That all that you have afforded for them in this life, they will walk in it to the fullest. They will walk in purpose. 
They will walk as ambassadors. They will walk in righteousness. They will walk as son. They will walk with ability. They will walk with power. They will walk with purpose in this new life in the name of Jesus. And nothing that you have given to them will be taken from them. The enemy will not deceive them to think otherwise. They will walk in this new life and they're walking it consistently. This I pray in the name of Jesus. And Lord, for anyone who feels far away, for anyone who feels like they've messed up too much to come back, help them know that that is not the truth. No one can outsend the grace of God. It's so benevolent and so abundant. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Thank you, Lord Jesus, because you've covered their sins. Their sins and iniquities, you said you will remember no more. That you will now write your law upon their hearts. Lord, exactly as you have established in your word, so shall it be in their lives in Jesus' name. Not just from a spiritual point of view, but, but vitally. Let them experience this in their lives every day. Let there be connection, no more gap, no more distance in Jesus' name. Let their devotion take a whole new high, a whole new level. That they will know you, they will love you, they will appreciate you, they will grow in you till maturity. This I pray in the name of your Holy Son. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. If you know, give yourself space. Praise the name of God. If you know that you know that you live in this new life that God has given to you by the resurrection of Jesus. Can you shout the loudest hallelujah you've ever shouted? Come on, shout hallelujah! Glory to God. Amen, amen. I am super confident that this has been a blessing to you. Keep praying with it and let these words drive you to action to live in the fullness of the will of God for your life. Stick around for more. God bless you. I love you.